a couple from a couple weeks ago. Got this story from the Arab News. Try it. It's might maybe a good idea to engage in some other uh, news sources. By the way, <laughs> I have Apple News on my phone, and it's probably one of the most frustrating. Uh, news sources that there is possible. So here's uh, Arab news. From a couple weeks ago, if you're familiar with Salman Rushdie, he was, he's, a, uh, he's actually Indian. I didn't know that. He's uh, Indian-born Muslim, and he was, uh, wrote a book called The Satanic Verses back in 1988, if you're familiar with that. Uh, it's actually a novel. And so the... Muslim powers that be didn't like his story, his fictional story. (laughs) And so they put out a bounty on his head, a fatwa, to have him executed. And uh, that was in 1988 that that happened, and he has miraculously uh, still survived until today. And he was actually attacked in New York not too long ago. He, he became a citizen of the United States in 2016, I believe it was. And uh, so he's been living here, uh, spending a lot of time here. He teaches in universities and that, that uh, sort of thing. But he was stabbed by an individual, a New Jersey resident. Uh, <laughs> Hadi Matar, this article here, uh, Arab News says, Hadi Matar, the 24-year-old New Jersey suspect, charged with attempted murder over a vicious knife attack on author Salman Rushdie on Friday. This is from uh, the date of this article is August 13th. Is believed to have been motivated by a pro-Iranian regime sympathies and the death fatwa that placed on the novelist in 1989 by the late Ayatollah uh, Khomeini. And the article goes on to describe kind of what happened to Rushdie. He was stabbed several times. Uh, and survived the attack. Nevertheless, uh, if you read U.S. news sources on this, they will not say (laughs) in the opening paragraph that he is believed to have been motivated by pro-Iranian regime sympathies. They will say something like this that it says later, uh, although police officials investigating the attack have not speculated on Matar's motives or possible official or unofficial ties to extremist pro-Iranian groups. Uh, Many experts actually did link the incident to Iran's long-standing extremist terrorist agenda. And if you go to this individual's Facebook page, which probably isn't uh, available anymore, his banner uh, on his, his personal page is a picture of the Ayatollah Khomeini. So U.S. police services, and this story has kind of left, left the news of late, uh, so might be hard to find even information on it, but at the time, they were completely denying it. it oh, I don't know. We, we just don't know why this uh, Muslim man attacked Salman Rushdie uh, on the stage. So there's one. Then at the same time, here's an uh, article, I believe this is the next one. Yes, Gatestone Institute. This is from just this past week. Headline, Iran builds its own online ISIS. 
in America. Uh, and the article says, it has a picture, it's not showing up on there, but a picture of John Bolton. He's the former uh, national security advisor under Trump. And I wish I could click on that to get rid of it, but it doesn't work. Uh, the article says, the stabbing of author Salman Rushdie by Lebanese Shiite Muslim from New Jersey may be the culmination of efforts by Iran to imitate al-Qaeda and ISIS by building its own online terror network to carry out attacks inside the United States of America. Latest reports indicate that Hadi Matar, Rushdie's attacker, has been in touch with members of Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps. Uh, believe it or not. So that's uh, an interesting thing. And then finally, you put all these pieces together. Here's another one from a couple weeks ago. Headline, uh, this is the Al-Arabiya uh, news. And headline, Iran state media share video of U.S. children singing Tehran-sponsored religious anthem. July 29th, this one is from. A group of Shia Muslim children in Houston, Texas, sang an Iranian-sponsored religious anthem that includes references to Iran's supreme leader, Ali Khamenei, and slain military commander, Qasim Soleimani, last week. Videos shared online show. The event was organized by the Islamic Education Center of Houston, according to a post on the organization's Facebook page, Video, uh, video of the children singing the anthem was shared by Iranian state media. The anthem, Salam Farmanda, meaning Hello Commander, is a pledge of allegiance by young children to the 12th Imam and Shia Messiah, Al-Mahdi, according to the anthem's creators in Iran. So these are children in America, I can't play the video on here. Uh, not sure we would really want to anyway. But children in America pledging allegiance to the 12th Imam. And if the 12th Imam, if you're familiar, is the last Imam who's going to come and unite the world under Islam. Sounds a lot sort of very similar to our study in Revelation chapter 13. So these uh, children in the United States are already pledging allegiance to a coming world dictator under the guise of Islam. So that's very, uh, very sad indeed. Suzanne and I were in Houston, uh, was it, well, it was earlier this year, actually, and they were, it was primary time uh, elections for local elections there, and uh, it was hard to believe that there were in Houston, Texas, people running for office with names that sounded very Middle Eastern, we'll put it that way, uh, to put it politely, in Houston, Texas, so kind of kind of eye-opening. These things are going on in our, in our nation today. Uh, the regular press is not going to talk about it. The police aren't going to talk about it. So you have to kind of dig to find these issues that are happening in our country today. And if there's one thing that I believe is very clear from the Bible about the end times. It is that a nation that with the founding principles and 
kind of constitutional representative government existing in the world at the end times is not going to be a thing. There is, there is a giant barrier to world government in this world right now. And it is the United States of America and our constitutional form of, of government. Uh, and so that is something that is should be very much on our minds worth protecting. As we also know, one thing that's pretty clear from the end times is that there is going to be a, a trilateral group of nations that, uh, that head up an invasion of Israel in the end times. Russia, Turkey, and Iran. <laughs> and so Iran is, is in a war against us, whether we know it or not. That article that had uh, John Bolton on it uh, goes on to describe how the Iranians are, have the desire to uh, assassinate primarily former Trump administration officials, and they are gathering people in America to send them intelligence about these individuals. So it's, it's very uh, scary times in which, we are, in which we are living, but things that we need to be aware of as we go through our daily lives here. And things to keep in mind when we head to the voting booth here in a few months. Who supports America? And they probably ought to be high up on our list. With that, let's turn to the book of Proverbs and uh, continue our introduction to this wonderful book I've entitled our study here, How to Act Like a Christian, a study of Proverbs. And that might seem kind of uh, strange to our ears as good dispensationalists, how to act like a Christian. Oh, wait a second. This is the Old Testament. How dare we uh, do something like that? Well, uh, the fact of the matter is that God is unchanging. He, he is very concerned with the lives of his people. And as believers in Jesus Christ, we have been adopted into the family of God. That is one of our spiritual blessings for certain. And he has described in wonderful detail how what he expects from his people in terms of our daily living and godly living. And so, yes, the book of Proverbs gives us a lot of information about how to act like a Christian, what God expects from us. So we will continue our introduction to the book. We won't really get into the specifics of the text. Probably next week we will uh, begin studying Proverbs 1 in detail, but uh, Proverbs 1 verses 1 through 7 serve as a wonderful outline for the entire book because it really sets the foundation and gives us a lot of the information that we typically look at in introductions, such as the title, who wrote the book, and who the audience is, and these kinds of things that we will uh, delve further into this morning. And so, of course, this book wasn't written to Christians, per se, people in the church age, but it is still very applicable to us as it gives us the very wisdom of God, uh, and, and it is the wisdom of God for people who desire to uh, please Him 
on a daily basis. And that's what it's, uh, that's what it's all about. And so even uh, Old Testament books, we may have a tendency as dispensationalists to not give a lot of time to them other than the prophets, of course. So we love the prophets, but uh, the rest of the Old Testament is kind of could be a mystery to us or, well, that's for Israel and these, ki- these kinds of things. And yes, uh, while that's true, it still is very applicable to us. Uh, it, it's applicable to our understanding of God's overall plan in the world, and we can gain a lot of information. We gain all of our information about who God is. Uh, well, not all of it, but uh, a lot of foundational information about who God is, what he expects of his people, uh, what sin is, how it is offensive to God, and uh, even books like Leviticus have a secondary application to us today. Did you realize that Leviticus is one of the most quoted New Testament, uh, quoted Old Testament books in the New Testament? Jesus has an awful lot to say about uh, Leviticus, as does Paul and, and others. Yes, the law is for Israel, of course, but it gives us a template about how to order our lives. What does uh, what does God think about sin? What does, how does God want his people to act? Uh, how is the world designed, both physically and spiritually? We gain all of those, gain knowledge of all of those topics from uh, Old Testament books. Proverbs being one of those. Now, Proverbs, of course, is very, very different than other Old Testament books, really, than uh, most every Old Testament books. It's not history. It's not uh, prophecy. It's not a letter to a church like we see so many in the New Testament. And, and it's furthermore, it's not really a book that is directly about national Israel. That's what really sets it apart and has caused some scholars to even wonder whether or not Proverbs should be in the Bible, because it isn't dress, addressing the nation as a whole directly. But indirectly, it absolutely is addressing the nation of Israel and how they should be applying the law, essentially, to their daily lives. Like, avoid at all costs adultery and fornication. That will lead you astray. That is a very big topic of the law. Be uh, just in your dealings with others. Be honest. Don't be lazy. And all of these kinds of wonderful topics that we will see in the book of Proverbs directed at individuals so that the nation as a whole would be more settled in God. Did you ever wonder why the leftists attack the family with such vitriol? The same reason why the book of uh, Proverbs is directed to the individual. The family is the building block of society. So, so goes the family, so goes the nation as a whole. Same, that's why Proverbs is a, a father writing to his sons to direct them how to order their lives. If that falls apart, well, the nation as a whole has uh, really no chance. 
So this book is not a narrative, it, it, is a, it is a book of poetry. And, and it is very concerned with everyday life. So it is concerned nearly exclusively with sanctification, the, the present tense of our salvation or the second phase. It doesn't have a lot to say, nearly if anything how to have uh, eternal life, how to get your sins forgiven and go to heaven when you die, as we sometimes say as justification is. It is solely concerned with your everyday uh, living, how to apply the truths of God's word so that you can act in a way that is wise, applying knowledge to your life. And that's what we see in Proverbs chapter 1. Verse 1, where it says, The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge, and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel to understand a proverb and a figure the words of the wise and their riddles. So last week we looked into a few of these introductory issues. We saw the title uh, is based on the first word of the Hebrew text there. That's where we get the, uh, the book of Proverbs or Proverbs just uh, in general. That's the, the very first Hebrew word. In the text, and we also see the author there, of course, in the first verse being Solomon. He authored Proverbs 1 through 29. We can uh, say with a lot of confidence, even though the, the critical scholars may deny that, that's, that's fine. The text tells us that Solomon wrote Proverbs 1 through 29, and 25 through 29 were kind of uh, compiled by the wise men of of Hezekiah, so that can throw a wrench into things too, as as far as figuring out who the author is. But Solomon wrote them. Wise men of Hezekiah later compiled them. That's not uh, hard to hard to comprehend. And then Proverbs thirty, written by a man by the name of Agur, and Proverbs thirty one, written by Lemuel. But it states that in the text. So again, not, not uh, difficult to figure out who wrote these. And we know that the, uh, speaking of Solomon, we know that he was a very wise individual. Of course, he asked for wisdom because he felt as if he was unqualified to rule the nation after his father died. So God essentially told him, I'll give you anything you want. And Solomon uh, very wisely asked for wisdom to uh, rule over the people. And that's exactly what uh, God gave to him. Uh, Unfortunately, we know from history and from the Bible that Solomon did not continue to apply these things to our lives. Uh, 1 Kings 11 makes that very clear. And so that is a good reminder to us that even though you, you may be acting wisely today, 
Uh, if you turn your uh, mind from the Lord and you decide to do something else, you make a choice to act in a different way, there are consequences for that. It's not a guarantee. Wisdom is not something that, oh, well, you know, uh, man, that was really good advice I gave to that person. I'm, I'm wise. I'm all set. Well, you need to continue walking by faith trusting in the, in the Holy Spirit who indwells you as a Christian moment by moment, or you can fall exactly the same way that Solomon did. Certainly. <laughs> Certainly you can. <laughs> we should not uh, get too far under our high horse. Solomon is a man who uh, talked with God. God appeared to him on a number of occasions and. uh, so he wrote books of the Bible and he fell. We should be very careful how we, how we walk. But the theme of Proverbs is wisdom, of course, applying knowledge to your life. It's not just gaining academic knowledge, but it's actually having knowledge and then being, a, being able to apply those things to your daily living. And we saw last time that the foundation for acting wisely in the world is the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So this book is all about wisdom, how to apply knowledge to daily living in a fallen world. And so today we'll continue our introductory material, three more areas, uh, to, to go through. This isn't a totally exhaustive uh, introduction to the book of Proverbs by any stretch, but it, it'll set a good foundation for us, hopefully, so we can uh, understand what is being written here. The, the actual structure of the book is important to us. Uh, uh, Proverbs is one of, it's a, a book, especially once you get out of the first nine chapters of Proverbs, you know, you can do throw the old uh, dart at the <laughs> at the wall. Just open your Bible to a random page in Proverbs after chapter nine. You can just read some things for a couple seconds there and come away. Oh, that that that's nice. Uh, it's it doesn't take a lot of context to to uh, understand these things that we see here. But it's important to understand the structure so that you can understand the entirety of the book. So we'll go through some of that. We'll look at the form of the writing, which is very different from most every other book of the Bible. It's similar to Psalms in some ways. The first nine chapters certainly are similar to the Psalms. But it is uh, poetry, and it's Hebrew poetry, of course, which is different than poetry we may be familiar with. And then we'll finally, we'll look at the theology of Proverbs quickly here to see, you know, does this book belong in the Bible? Is it talking about the same God that the rest of the Bible is? Well, we'll, we'll take a look at that uh, quickly. Here's Roy Zook on wisdom. He says, wisdom means being skillful and successful in one's relationships and responsibilities observing and following the creator's principles of order in the moral universe. Uh, and that is just a wonderful definition for what wisdom is. Live in, living in the reality of God's 
creation. When we try to invent our own way of doing things, we're not, we're not living in reality. We're living in our own created reality, but that's not reality. We're not uh, deconstructionalists here. We're not postmodern as Christians. We should not be postmodern in our thinking. Well, that's true for you, but it's not true for me. So uh, that, that line of thinking should never enter our minds other than with derision. There is one reality, there's one truth, and it is from God, and that ought to be our truth. That ought to be... Uh, what we hold dear is God's truth and God's uh, order in this world. And, and Proverbs shows us how to live within God's order. So the structure of Proverbs, like we've mentioned uh, before, there are basically seven collections of Proverbs within the book and uh, some of them you may see in commentaries and kind of technical discussions of, of Proverbs. You may see some of these titles. Uh, but the first nine chapters, what is termed as uh, Collection 1, essentially is the prologue to the entire rest of the book. When we think of Proverbs, we think of chapters 10 through 29, essentially. Very short, pithy sayings that give us some, some quick, down and dirty truth about the world. That's what we think of when we think of a proverb. A stitch in time saves nine. Uh, that's what we think of when it comes to proverbs. Well, in order to... That's not from the Bible, by the way. <laughs> uh, uh, the first nine chapters kind of serve as a prologue to set the stage. Why do we even have this book? What is it going to be applied to? How, how do these principles work in general? And then he gets to the, the specific Proverbs beginning in chapter 10. Uh, so we've seen the title and the preamble. That's what we've been looking at for our introductory material, the first seven verses, then the prologue actually begins in verse 8 where it's kind of extended sayings about different uh, themes within the book. Each chapter essentially being about a different topic uh, in general. Anyway, from chapters 2, uh, well, verse 8 of chapter 1 going all the way through verse chapter 8. And then an epilogue, kind of a concluding remarks about the introduction in chapter 9. And then in collection 2, which is sometimes referred to as Solomon 1, uh, that's chapters 10 through 22 and verse 16. And then beginning in verse 17 of chapter 22, there's kind of a, there's a little bit of a break. It doesn't show up clearly in our English Bibles, but that is actually the beginning of a different section in verse 17 of chapter 22 that is known as the 30 sayings of the wise. And then beginning in chapter 24 and verse 23, there's the further sayings of the wise. And then Solomon 2 in chapter 25 through 29, these are the, the proverbs that were collected by the wise men of Hezekiah. 
Then collection six is the sayings of Agur, and collection seven uh, we're probably very familiar with dealing primarily with the Proverbs 31 woman, the sayings of Lemuel. And so the... uh, as we've mentioned before, the critical scholars have kind of questioned of the early 19th and 20th century. I'm, I don't know that modern scholarship is doing that as much, but they've questioned uh, Solomonic authorship. Critical scholars uh, inherently question the divine authorship of any of any and every book. They disregard any sort of miraculous uh, occurrence. And so when the Bible says that Solomon received wisdom uh, from the Lord, well, then they're just going to disregard that and say, well, Solomon probably didn't write these. He just copied them from the Egyptians and uh, or the Hebrews copied them from the Egyptians. And they put Solomon's name on it because, well, everybody knows that Solomon in the myth was wise and so we'll say Solomon wrote these, but we really just copied them from the Egyptians. And while more modern uh, scholarship has seen that, well, it, 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 even, it seems like the Egyptians actually copied from Solomon. They wrote post-Solomon. Solomon wrote these first, and the Egyptians were uh, copying him in their wisdom literature, which makes a lot of sense when we uh, understand the Bible, 1 Kings 10, this is actually a painting of the Queen of Sheba coming to visit uh, Solomon because of his great wisdom. Well, do you think maybe some Egyptian leaders might have come to visit Solomon? Well, yes, there, I would say there's a pretty good chance that, that they did, in fact, do that. And that would uh, be an answer as to why the Egyptian wisdom literature is similar to Uh, the book of Proverbs. So that's just some structural information to keep in mind. Essentially, chapters 1 through 9 serve as an introduction to the entire book, covering in detail various topics. The Proverbs, what we typically think of as a proverb, begins in chapter 10. And uh, then there are two other uh, Proverbs tacked on to the end, written by two other individuals. So the form of the writing of the book of Proverbs is, as we have mentioned, poetry. Uh, A proverb, a masal, is the uh, Hebrew term for proverb. You can laugh at the pronunciation. I'm not great at that. But (laughs) a proverb is a short, pithy saying for those who fear the Lord. I mentioned uh, a stitch in time saves nine. That's just that's something that's just generally true uh, in the world. A proverb from the book of Proverbs is specifically directed towards believers uh, in God and how they can apply the truth of God's word and God's in, apply the truth of God's word in God's universe. That's what a proverb is about. And the proverbs beginning in chapter 10 in particular are these very short, uh, 
pithy sayings, sayings that are short and pack a lot of punch, have a lot of wisdom in a very few amount of words. That's one of the, the founding qualities, if you will, of a proverb. It's terseness. And that's just Hebrew poetry in general. It was very terse, a very brief statement uh, of a truth. And not necessarily all the truth combined in one sentence. I have, you may not be able to read that up there, but the Proverbs are the memes of the ancient Near East. I don't know if you're familiar with memes, but uh, pictures that people will uh, Photoshop different words onto that are oftentimes very hilarious. And that uh, in Europe, and I know they would love to do it here as well on Facebook and these kinds of things in Europe, uh, you can be uh, fined, you can be uh, jailed for memes and these kinds of things if you say something that the government doesn't like. Uh, because they are very, very effective at getting across a truth, kind of in a humorous way, that sticks in your mind. Well, that's what Proverbs are. They're very short sayings, something that will stick in your mind that gives you truth, that gives you something about God's world. For example, Proverbs 22.6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. That's from God's word. And, the, and every one of us, our first reaction is to think of our own children, somebody else's child who grew up in a Christian home and didn't, isn't following the Lord in their adult life. And, and that can sow seed, uh, sow a seed of doubt in our minds. Well, Proverbs 22, 6, that isn't true. Look at uh, so-and-so down the road. Look at my own son, my own daughter. Look at whoever in the public eye. Well, the fact of the matter is that if you train up your child to follow the Lord, there is a very, very good chance that as an adult, they will follow the Lord and uh, we'll get into this proverb specifically in a whole lot more detail. Uh, it's not necessarily a guarantee, but I assure you with uh, what is a guarantee, if you do not train your child in the ways of the Lord, they have a very low probability of uh, following the Lord in the future. And we will we'll get into that in more detail later. But the, the Hebrew poetry uses a lot of imagery, a lot of figures of speech that were we uh, in the rest of the Bible that uh, we see those as well. Similes, uh, this is like that. Uh, irony, metaphors, all of these kinds of figures of speech we'll see as we go along. The book of Proverbs is very rich in that. And the other thing to keep in mind with uh, this poetry is that it uses parallelism to a great extent. In, in English poetry, uh, we use rhyme. Jack and Jill went up the hill. Uh, and that's kind of what helps us remember these kinds of uh, ideas in English poetry, this rhyming and uh, a uh, kind of tempo 
to the poetry. Well, Hebrew poetry, if you speak Hebrew, I have been told, I'm not an expert by any stretch, has the same kind of, of tempo, but it doesn't use rhyme. It uses this idea of parallelism. And so what do we mean by that? We mean that verse A or verset, sometimes it can be less than, a, less than an entire verse. Sometimes it's just a phrase. Maybe it's an entire sentence. Maybe it's several sentences. Is the first part of the proverb and then it's explained in verset B, in another couple of verses, another phrase, another entire sentence. That's the idea. And so there uh, are several of these types of parallelism. These are the three main ones, synonymous. So verset A is synonymous with verset B, essentially We have the first part explained in different words, same idea using different words in the second part. Proverbs 11, 25. The generous man will be prosperous and he who waters will himself be watered. Same idea in both parts of the proverb explained with different words. Sometimes they will be antithetical. This may be kind of what we're the most familiar with. We have one thing described in the exact opposite described in the second half. Uh, Proverbs 15, 32. He who neglects discipline despises himself, but he who listens to reproof acquires understanding. Two exact opposite ideas that are in parallel with one another, an antithetical parallelism. And then there's also synthetic parallelism uh, where the second half kind of expands on the idea of the first half. Uh, Proverbs 16, 32, he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty and he who rules his spirit than he who captures a city. So really expanding on that idea of the first part, giving it even more uh, information, if you will. So quickly on to the theology of Proverbs. Should Proverbs even be in the Bible? Is this something, is this a book that is describing uh, the same God that we see in the rest of the Old Testament? And of course, the answer to that is, of course. Uh, This book describes the God of Israel the same way that the rest of the Bible does. It uses this term Yahweh, uh, throughout, it will see the Lord in all caps is is representative of the term Yahweh for God, and that is that is a term that is specifically given to the God of the universe, the God of Israel. This is Israel's covenant-keeping God. That's what that term means. He's eternal. Uh, he always has been, and he's made a covenant with the nation of Israel that he is going to keep. And this is the one whom we should fear, according to verse 7 of chapter 1. That it, he, Fear of Yahweh is the beginning of knowledge. And we see that the God, as described in the book of Proverbs, is the creator, Proverbs uh, 3.19, the Lord by wisdom the Lord, Yahweh, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps were broken up and the skies drip with dew. 
He is transcendent. He is everywhere. Uh, in this world, we cannot escape from the eyes of the Lord. This is the same God that's described in the rest of the Bible. Proverbs 5, 21, for the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord and he watches all his paths. But he's also in the world. This is what distinguishes the God of the Bible from every other God that has been imagined in the, the unsanctified mind of man. That some foreign gods are transcendent. They're outside of the world, but they can see everything. Some foreign gods are in the world and they help us. Uh, they help our crops grow. They make us fertile. They do this, that, or the other thing. Uh, so they're in the world and involved in the world. But no foreign or false gods are both at the same time. That's, that is an impossibility for a uh, man-created God to do that. But that's exactly who the God of the Bible is. He is outside of the world, separate from the creation, but he is also involved in the creation. Proverbs 15, 25, the Lord will tear down the house of the proud, but he will establish the boundary of the widow. He's also an avenger of wrong and rewarder of good. That is something that ought to be very clear to us from our study of Revelation and the Bible in general. Proverbs 25, 21. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink, for you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. And he's also just, of course. Uh, Proverbs 11.1, 1, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. He is perfectly just. So these Proverbs, uh, of course, they describe the same God that the rest of the Bible does. He's the God of Israel. He's the creator of the universe. He is our Savior, and he is very concerned with how we live our lives. So he is describing the everyday life for the person of God. Another question that may come up is who is wisdom? Wisdom, another uh, figure of speech or a technique that the author uses is this idea of personification. Uh, and wisdom is personified, is described as a person. So uh, who is wisdom? Who is it supposed to be? Sometimes it can almost seem like, well, it's it's God himself. And uh, I think it's better to see wisdom as being a personification, a, a poetic technique to show the truth of God. Wisdom is the application of God's truth. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. And as we apply the truth of God to our lives, we will live lives that are pleasing to him. And again, here's our quote from Bruce Waltke. If one should ask if Solomon is the wise author, how could he have died such a fool? Let it be noted that he constructed his own gibbet on which he impaled himself. That is, he ceased listening to his own instruction. Spiritual success today does not guarantee spiritual success tomorrow. So may the Lord help us in our walk with him 
and also in our as we begin our study of this wonderful book of Proverbs. Let's go to him in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this book of Proverbs. We thank you for being separate from this world. You are not a part of this fallen world. You created it, and man has essentially ruined it. But you are within this world because you are concerned with us, and you are fixing, you have fixed our problem in Jesus Christ and his shed blood. And I just pray that you would go with us in our daily lives, help us to apply these truths that are so still very applicable to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.